The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, your host for this episode of ASRM Today. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Paula Amato. Dr. Amato is professor, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. She's here today to discuss medically-assisted reproduction in transgender communities. Dr. Amato, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. So for our listeners, what is the definition of transgender? So transgender is someone's sense of being female or male or non-binary or some other gender, which conflicts with their sex assigned at birth. And that in and of itself is not considered a psychiatric diagnosis per se, but that could often cause distress. And that distress we call gender dysphoria. And there's very good evidence that transition, whether that's social transition or physical transition, can alleviate that psychological distress. How do you make your clinic or practice trans-friendly? Well, there's a number of things clinics can do. Uh, A very easy thing is to display some brochures that are inclusive of LGBT health and LGBT photos. Another thing they can do is post a very prominent non-discrimination policy statement. They should also have a look at the intake forms. You know, for example, replacing wife and husband with spouse and partner is, is much more inclusive. They should make sure that their staff receives some cultural competency training. And there's, you know, various trainings available these days. So practices uh, should make those available. And they should ask patients basically what pronouns they use and use those pronouns. And it's best not to make assumptions about either gender or sexual orientation. One other thing practices can do that may not be easy for all of them, but if there's at least one gender-neutral bathroom available in the clinic, that's very helpful as well. What are the ethical issues around transgender reproduction and or fertility? There's a number of ethical issues that come up uh, surrounding issues such as reproductive autonomy, uh, welfare of the children, informed consent, access to care, and justice. We know that the majority of trans uh, people desire children just like anybody does. They have the same interest in, in in having children as cisgender people. Historically, they've been subject to discrimination. And the reason that people often cite for this is that they're concerned about the welfare of the children or the offspring. Now, admittedly, there's very scarce research on the outcomes of children of trans patients, but the evidence that we do have actually does not support that these children are harmed in any significant way compared to children of cisgender patients. In some states, so the state laws vary, uh, and you know, providers should certainly be familiar with the states, with the laws rather in their jurisdictions. But 
um, in some states, gender identity is considered a protected class, so it would, it would be actually illegal to discriminate against a patient just because they're transgender. Now, the SRM's opinion, of course, is that it's unethical to discriminate based on gender identity, even if it might be legal in some states. So these patients uh, deserve access to care. And if for some reason the clinic can't provide that care for reasons other than discrimination, they certainly do have a, a duty to refer to a provider who is, is willing to care for them. What are the important elements of counseling transgender patients regarding fertility preservation and reproductive options? Thank you for that question. It's very important. There's a number of issues that are important in terms of counseling for this group of patients. One is uh, we need to discuss with them the impact of transition on fertility. Now, some transgender patients will undergo physical transition, and that might include taking exogenous hormones. Some will undergo surgery and removal of gonads, for example, but not all of them will. So it's, it's important to discuss with your patient what they are planning. But certainly some of these things, such as gonadectomy or exogenous hormone treatment, can have impacts on fertility, negative impacts on fertility. And in some cases, these impacts can be permanent, and in some cases, they're reversible. So it's, it's really important to have that conversation with the patient, ideally, before they transition. It's also important to be honest about the lack of data. We don't have a ton of data about the effects of hormones on sperm or eggs, for example, or children resulting from those sperm or eggs when the patient does ultimately conceive. In addition, the Endocrine Society and the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, called WPATH, they both recommend that patients are counseled regarding their options for fertility preservation, ideally before they start the transition process. And as many of your listeners will know, those um, fertility preservation options will include sperm cryopreservation for transgender women and either egg or embryo cryopreservation for transgender men. Ovarian tissue banking and banking of testicular tissue in prepubertal males are both considered experimental at this point. One of the more challenging issues are we're seeing more and more younger patients on pubertal blockers, and it's, it's difficult to know what to do with these patients. Often we take them off their pubertal blockers so that they can undergo ovarian stimulation or uh, sperm cryopreservation, but that can be disconcerting for the patient. We don't know how long to ask patients to discontinue hormones for before they undergo ovarian stimulation, for example, but at least a few months, at least until the menses return. There was a recent study actually that looked at ART outcomes in transgender patients who had taken testosterone compared to cisgender patients, and they had very similar ART outcomes. So that was very reassuring. As far as options for reproduction, once patients are ready to have a family or begin their family building, those are just all the standard treatments that we're all very familiar with, intrauterine insemination, in vitro fertilization, et cetera, depending on whether the patient has eggs or sperm or uterus available. 
What do we know about pregnancy in trans men? We don't know a lot, but there have been a few case series published, and it seems that their obstetrical outcomes are very similar to those of cisgender patients. These patients have commented in these various surveys that there is does seem to be a lack of provider awareness and knowledge around transgender issues or trans or pregnancy in transgender patients and there's a hope for more supportive resources for this specific group of patients. This is an another area where clinics should be cognizant of inclusivity and making their practices more trans-friendly. So many obstetrical units, for example, are called the mother-baby unit or the center for women's health. And obviously for a trans man, that is not, that's going to be somewhat upsetting. So we're all, you know, dealing with how to make these environments a little more trans-friendly for these particular folks. For our listeners, What are the most important take-home messages about transgender care you would like them to know about today? I think it's important to recognize that transgender patients, just like all patients, desire children. And it's also important that they should be counseled about their options for fertility preservation, ideally before transition, but sometimes that can happen after transition as well. I think it's important not to discriminate against this group of patients and They deserve access to care, to fertility services, just like all patients. Uh, A multidisciplinary team approach is often best. Often that involves the fertility specialist working with their primary care provider or mental health provider, et cetera. Uh, And certainly we need more research in this area because at the moment there certainly isn't a lot of research to guide us with our evidence-based counseling. I've had the pleasure of speaking today with Dr. Paula Amato about medically-assisted reproduction in transgender communities. Dr. Amato, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us. Thank you very much, Jeff, for including this important topic. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, your host for this episode of ASRM Today. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Paula Amato. Dr. Amato is Professor, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. She's here today to discuss medically-assisted reproduction in transgender communities. Dr. Amato, thank you for joining us. I've had the pleasure of speaking today with Dr. Paula Amato about medically-assisted reproduction in transgender communities. Dr. Amato, thank you for speaking with us.